This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is September 2nd, 2020. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. This is Paul Cordella, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 1993 through 1997. And can you tell me the names of any shows or programs that you worked on or produced? Well, Coming into the radio station in 1993, uh, I uh, was primarily focused in journalism. Uh, And so uh, I made a concerted effort to get to know the station, get to know the station members with the hope of joining the news department at WRHU at the time. And one one of the good things about the station uh, back then, was that it was uh, very much of a all-welcoming type of atmosphere. Uh, and there was a concerted effort amongst the staff at that time, as well as management, to hone the interests of students uh, and to have them get involved in whatever capacity um, they wanted to in terms of where those interests may have lay, lied. So for the first year, um, I started in the news department under the tutelage of Dave Mock and uh, contributed to uh, Newsline and several news feature broadcasts throughout the year. But I also became involved uh, in other shows. Uh, Students were required to volunteer and provide support to the station in a variety of ways. And so I also operated the board and hosted uh, the jazz shows. Uh, And I believe during the first year as well, I was involved in uh, the morning wake-up call with uh, Butch D'Ambrosio. So that's some of the stuff that I did in the first year uh, at the radio station. Uh, In all your time at Hofstra Radio, did you produce any community affairs programs? Did you do any of the weekend community volunteer shows? Did you produce for anything like that? I had the benefit of living on campus, uh, which allowed me to um, really be involved not only during the weekdays, but on the weekends as well. And so I found probably like uh, many students that were working at the station during that time, that WRHU was very much uh, a second home for us. And so while we may have had responsibilities uh, that took time during certain hours of the day, certain days of the week, my, I, like many of the other participants there, found ourselves there even when we weren't necessarily on the clock. Uh, and so during the time there, during that first year, I did have an opportunity to assist with a lot of the community volunteer programming on the weekends. And what I found early on was that it was very much of a a family feeling, uh, that there was really a strong bond, not only between the students, but between the students and the community volunteers. There's something to be said about helping to contribute to Long Island's oldest non-commercial radio station. And the station's mission at that time, and still to a large degree continuing today, was that not only do we service and provide uh, a service for our students, but also for the community around us. And the nature of WRHU at that time 
by way of its block programming, really provided that uh, mission statement for the community. What we were able to do was to not only provide news and music and entertainment uh, of the day, but we were able to engage uh, the support of uh, and provide programming and entertainment for different ethnic groups that were either underserviced or not serviced on Long Island at that time. And so we were able to see um, and provide programming uh, and an option for people in the Irish community, in the Greek community, uh, country music, uh, programming that to this day still is not necessarily commercially viable uh, and still is not provided, but, um, but allowed us to, as an alternative, um, service the community in those ways. And in your time at Hofstra Radio, what uh, positions or titles or management uh, places did you hold? Well, uh, I was there from 1993 through 1997. And so I started out rather quickly, um, sort of baptism by fire in the news department, uh, held the position of assistant news director, moved on to news director, and then ultimately uh, station manager. Uh, of the station through 1996. And so I was really able to um, learn from the ground up and then ultimately become uh, be, hold a role that um, helped to manage at that time probably about 100 or 125 staff members, both students and community, community volunteers. Uh, this is a multi-part question or multiple questions and answer it, whatever makes sense to you. But what first brought you to Hofstra Radio? Do you remember your first time going to the station or seeing the studio or seeing the office? Uh, can you paint a picture of what it was like, where it was like, maybe who you met, uh, the impressions that you got uh, and your feelings about, you know, why you were joining in the first place? My first memory uh, of the station was walking the North Campus uh, during a student campus welcoming session and seeing a uh, remote table set up um, bearing the banner, the WRHU 88.7 FM blue and gold banner on a table um, with some, you know, misfit looking people <laughs> behind the uh behind the table uh, and had some initial contact at that time, um, got the proverbial WHU flyer um, with an invitation to stop by at that time Memorial Hall a few days later. And uh, so eventually made my way down to uh, the station, which at that time was in the basement of Memorial Hall. Uh, and through some long and dark hallways, came across uh, a rather nondescript doorway um, that ultimately served to be my second home uh, for a period of time until we ultimately were moved over to Dempster Hall. Uh, and as I said before, um, welcomed with open arms, uh, a, a rather eclectic group of people, um, which was rather refreshing to see. Um, people that um, were, as I quickly learned, 
um, providing people, providing students with the with the ability to learn, to stretch, to experiment, um, but at the same time holding true to the values and visions uh, that um, people like Sue Zizza, like Jeff Krause, uh, had helped to perpetuate uh, and maintain at the station for years before. Do you recall any of the people who were there uh, at that remote or that table or anybody who was in the office or studio when you first got there? So, you know, you sort of think back and I probably I, I recall Butch being at that at that first table uh, and uh, coming into the station uh, on my first day. I can recall Al Montag there. Probably you, Brian, were there. Uh, Dawn uh, McCarthy. Jen was probably there as well. Uh, and at some point I saw, you know, just a blur of a guy running down the hallway. And that came to learn later was Dave Mock running to the studio for, uh, for a news update. And uh, one of the things I remember most is that Dave, Dave worked on his own speed in terms of a schedule. Uh, <laughs> he, was, he, was, he always seemed to be running somewhere in terms of either getting to the studio for breaking news or a news update. So you arrive at the radio station and um, you have to go through training classes or, or some sort of initiation to get on the air. Do you remember anything about engineer, uh, engineering classes, announcing classes, uh, working with Dave Mock or anybody else to learn how uh, the news routine worked at Hofstra Radio? Early 90s um, was a little bit different. You know, I, I was at the station at a, at a unique time. I was at, a sta- at the station when not only technology was changing and how people consumed news was really starting to change, um, but the station as well sort of changed um, from a, a not only administrative standpoint, but also a technological standpoint. Um, and so I sort of see my time at the station a little differently than people that came before me or after after me in that it was as if there were sort of two different experiences uh, involving WRHU. And the first half of it was during our time in, uh, in Memorial Hall. Uh, and my time in terms of training, in terms of announcing uh, and, and the program was done there uh, in the early years at Memorial Hall. The technology was different at Memorial Hall. Hall. The, the audio board, the engineering board was different. It was an older piece of equipment. Uh, and so I remember, you know, the studio being a, a dark and, and cool room, uh, not cool in terms of, you know, cool in terms of temperature um, with some low key lighting and, you know, an old board with, with the dials um and you know egg foam on the walls uh with with the constant um with the constant warning of radon <laughs> potentially in the air um and to and to be careful um but i i also remember at some point there being a shift uh and when the station moved to um what was then called Dempster Hall, there was not only a, a change in technology and an upgrade in equipment, uh, and the university really um, t- 
taking a, a an interest in helping to promote the station and build the station and investing in the station. But also that helped to, I believe, lead to a surge in interest. And not to say that there wasn't always an interest in the station, um, but I I was able to see, I did see that after our our move to, to Dempster, I think that there was a surge in terms of people wanting to get involved. And I don't know if that was a function of us becoming more visible out of the basement and onto into a, a, a you know, sort of a fishbowl environment, um, or perhaps uh, due to the investment that the station had, uh, that the university had made in the station in terms of promoting it and, and investing in the technology. And so what we saw um, as a result of that under the leadership of um, Bruce Avery at the time as, as the general manager that assumed um, the role from Sue Zizza was that there was born from that interest uh, a need to change and develop how it is that not only we teach uh, uh, people, not only the, the craft of how to run a board uh, and audio production, but also announcing staying true to not only the WRHU's mandate, the university's mandate, as well as having to, to be cognizant of the uh, awesome responsibility that comes with guarding uh, a license given to you by the FCC. And so as a result of that, I was fortunate during my time to help to evolve and develop a new training program, a new training manual, and really be engaged in um, helping to instruct those that uh, had made it through the program to ultimately help to continue um, the station's mission uh, and uh, helping to maintain the high standards that for years WRHU uh, had lived by in terms of, uh, in terms of communicating its message uh, and its programming to not only the campus, but throughout Long Island, Lower Westchester, and parts of Connecticut. As a freshman stepping in to the news department, were there particular guidelines or tips or advice that you got from from Dave Mock or or from anybody uh, on how to prepare or to present on air? Were there uh, um, uh, written or unwritten rules as to how the news should be presented on the air? Sure, sure. And, and advice came from a lot of different folks. And of course, a lot of it is, is, was baptism by fire. Uh, you're on that proverbial cliff, and at some point, you've got to sort of trust your intr- instincts and, 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 and recognizing that a radio station at a co- in a college university, uh, or college or university that is run by primarily students uh, with talents and, and production that is being uh, produced by primarily students, that, you know, there's a learning curve there. And there was for me, uh, and there were for, there was for, for people before me. Uh, and there, you know, learn, that learning curve exists to today. Um, but the beauty of that process is that um, you sort of learn as you go to a large degree, uh, and you become better um, as you go through that process, uh, knowing that Management and the university is placed an enormous amount of trust uh, 
that you're going to do well and you're going to put your best foot forward and, and, and produce the best product you can. So yes, advice came from, from a lot of different folks, not only station management from you, Brian, um, in terms of, uh, advice in terms of how you can be, uh, a, a good broadcaster when it came to news, but also from Dave Mock, who, uh, news, news ran in his blood. Uh, and he had a, I remember Dave's points in terms of how to write and craft a broadcast, because at that time we had a shorter broadcast than what the station has now in terms of news. So he only, he only had so much time in terms of to hit nightly, um, the most important news of the day, or, you know, you're making those editorial choices in terms of what you believe to be, um, the most important news of the day that you can provide to your, to your listeners in that, in that moment, short, succinct, uh, unbiased, um, no emotion, uh, in terms of, in terms of adding to the broadcast, only the facts and hopefully to develop and, and provide a story, um, that answers the questions, what, where, who, why, and when nothing more, nothing less and allowing and trusting that your listeners ultimately will make up their own minds, whether it be a political story, um, and trusting that you've provided them with the facts uh, of the day. One of the things I, I remember rather quickly having to be involved in was the murder of several people on the Long Island Railroad uh, by Colin Ferguson. And I, if memory serves me correct, that would have been my first year, 1993. And I wasn't at the studio at the time. Uh, I was actually in my dorm room and heard the news. I may have gotten a call from, from Dave, but had heard what had happened. And the story was still fresh and evolving as time, as time was going on that night. And started, I started calling around from my dorm. Uh, trying to get some information and helped to um, help to produce and, and go on air with with that breaking news story. And that was really my first introduction into into breaking news and helping to to write and broadcast the facts as we all were learning it as time went on. Now, it's not to say that people that tragic night were getting weren't getting their news and, and information from other sources because they were. Um, it was a widely reported event. Um, but I do believe that we provided a great public service that night uh, in terms of providing news and, and, and information to folks that were listening to WRHU that evening and in the days to come as that story continued continued to unravel and evolve. It's, it's my recollection that um, I was in the office at the radio station and received a phone call from you uh, that you had heard something was going on. And uh, at least those of us in the office had not yet heard it. And and it's, it's escaping me, but I, I want to say this was somewhere around like five thirty six o'clock at night. I remember it being a, a, a wintry, dark kind of night. Uh, and you called and that sort of got us rolling on collecting information about the shooting. Does that, does that ring a bell at all? It does. Yeah. I do remember it being an early evening. You have to remember at the time it was rush hour, right? So, mm -hmm. so the Long Island railroad was, was servicing a large number of folks. 
that were coming out of the city, um, working in Manhattan, hop on the LIRR, heading out to Garden City, Maryland Avenue was, was the station stop where, where that tragic event occurred. And so, yeah, that, that, that does sound right. Uh, I, pro- I probably did place a call to the station. I don't remember how I had heard about it. Um, I had done some stringing for, for the AP during, during that time as well, um, as, as Dave would do and I, I would do. So I, I, I don't recall how it was. I may, have, I may have picked it up from another station. Um, but nonetheless, um, I remember the station really, as we always did, um, rising to the level in terms of, you know, doing what we had to do to get on the air, get a phone or going, um, helping to, to break in uh, and sort of think on your feet, right? Because when you're in breaking news mode, um, you have multiple parts that you're trying to manage at the same time, while at the same time also being mindful and cognizant that you need to verify and check your facts and, and not be so quick to put something on the air if it's not been properly sourced or corroborated. So you described that incident, uh, the Long Island Railroad shooting, as, as your introduction to uh, a big breaking news story. Do you recall the first time you were ever on the air live doing a newscast or, or anything on the air at all? Yeah, so it would probably have been a a, uh, a news line. Um, I had started off writing copy, um, and at that time, you know, learned uh, painfully <laughs> how to use um, Dave's one of Dave Mock's manual typewriters. <laughs> painfully, because um, it took me some time to sort of not get my fingers jammed in between the keys. Um, so it was a it was probably a few days of, of, of working and learning and writing before um, I was given the privilege of sharing the studio in terms of uh, in terms of co-hosting uh, and co-anchoring a, a newscast. And so you know Dave Dave did his thing and, and, and slowly indoctrinated me into the newscast in terms of being able to anchor and report a couple of pieces during during those early broadcasts and then slowly uh was given the ability to you know run those broadcasts myself when 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 dave wasn't there or wanted to share and that really provided me with the opportunity to sort of spread my wings and from there then you know through the training program at that time went through the 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 audio engineering and then you know, learning how to operate a board uh, and ultimately, you know, helping to provide music programming through the Jazz Cafe. Uh, And so I sort of was able, I had the benefit of being able to not only stay in news and broadcast in news, which was my passion, uh, but also to provide some some broadcasting and, and DJ opportunities through the Jazz Cafe, which was uh, which was a great opportunity as well. So, who were the people who were obviously we, we talked about uh, Dave Mock quite a bit, and you can you can talk as much about Dave as as you like. I'm I'm here for that. But who were people who were helpful or inviting, or people that maybe you heard on the air and thought, "Wow, that's that's really good. I want to do that." Or people that you heard and thought, "Well, 
I, I like it or I don't like it, but I don't want to do that. Who, who were the voices? Who were the people who helped get you established there at the radio station? Well, you know, the, the, the nature of the station, and it was a good thing, was that there were so many voices. Uh, and not only when I say voices, I'm, I'm talking about style. Um, the nature of our programming in terms of what the station provided to the community was such that um, 32 different shows at that time, I believe, provided the, the ability to, you know, have different talent, different voices, different interests. Uh, and of course, you know, people being who they are, there are things that one person may find interesting and, and some other person may not. So I, I knew at that time, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't personally into rock. Um, uh, I wasn't personally into heavy metal, but that's cool. That's okay. So my interest didn't lie there. Um, but I had, I had interest in jazz. I had interest in, in, in other types of programming, but whatever my interests were and whatever interests somebody else had, whether a person was, was working on, you know, a rock show, uh, or jazz or classics or big band, uh, or uh, heavy metal, whatever it was, um, the sense of this being a family was very much at the forefront. And so it wasn't necessarily a situation where you come in and you do your shift and you leave, or you, you don't collaborate amongst other people that share different interests. Quite the opposite was true. Um, we found ourselves sort of as an eclectic group that, you know, we would hang out and share ideas and share advice. Uh, and so, and, and it wasn't only Sue at the time, it wasn't only you as the station manager uh, or Dawn following you, but it really was everyone. Uh, the support was always there. Um, you know, I could think back uh, having been part of the morning wake up call and being probably more of a straight personality than probably Butch D'Ambrosio at the time. Um, I'm not sure from a stylistic standpoint how our show may have compared to others. Um, but, you know, waking up for a 5 a.m. broadcast where I recall Butch was, you know, wired from the moment we started on the broadcast each morning. Um, you know, it, it was refreshing to, to not only have that level of responsibility, for instance, of starting the station, starting up the transmitter that morning, um, putting a product uh, or a service on the air, being the first one that morning to do that, um, but also being able to, you know, put together a show uh, and provide a source of information for, uh, for the community. I'll give you, for instance, you know, I, as being the straight news guy, um, we op opposites in terms of we we were opposites in terms of personalities. Well, at least on the air, but somehow it worked, um, and it was funny, uh, and it wasn't always funny, <laughs> but but it was funny for 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 a lot of it, uh, and so advice came from a lot of different places. What, I, what my recollection was, and one of the benefits, and and I hope that legacy has has sort of lived on after after we've both left the station halls, but the willingness to, no matter who you were working with or passing in the hallway, if there was ever a need 
to sort of bounce something off of somebody to get advice, whether it was um, requested or, or just given. Um, there was always an opportunity uh, to have an open line of communication among staff members so that we, at the end of the day, not only collectively grew, but we were ensuring that we were always putting forward the best uh, broadcast we could, no matter no matter what we were doing. Uh, and there was no room for egos. There was uh, no room for offensiveness in terms of feeling offended if somebody... Uh, you know, chastised you or you'd come back off of a broadcast at a, a certain time of the day and they said, oh, you really, you know, butchered that uh, that word or that pronunciation. You took it um, as you needed to take it, which was as constructive criticism, knowing that they weren't, you know, getting down on you uh, for any personal reason, but hoping to lift you up, right? Because if, if they lifted you up, they lifted the station up. And that was very much the environment during that time. So in, in the course of doing these interviews, I found a, a wide variety of, of people's feelings about why they came to the station and, and what they expected as, as they walked in. So I want there's a, I had a thought a few minutes ago as you were talking, and I want to tie it into this, this last question on the list. Um, you strike me as, as someone who walked into the radio station and had an idea of who they wanted to be and what they wanted out of it, as opposed to someone who was like, what's the, the, there's a radio station here. I had no idea. There's, there's plenty of people who didn't know what they wanted and, and got something out of it. So it strikes me that you walked into Hofstra radio, knowing that you had an interest in journalism and in news. So my, my question here is, do you remember what sparked your interest in news prior to coming to Hofstra radio? And then if you can, Put yourself back in the shoes of 18-year-old Paul as he walks into Memorial Hall. What were you expecting? What were your hopes? What were your uh, um, goals for walking into Hofstra Radio? If, with, without, without the benefit of hindsight, can you picture yourself at 18? What did you want out of it, and what, what was your expectation going in? Oh, sure. Sure. It's a good question. And, you know, you have to remember for me, for me, I had always been interested in news. Uh, it predated Hofstra. It was going back to high school. I, in high school, I had helped to start a, I was involved in the, the high school newspaper. I had helped to put together a closed circuit community based news program um, as a high school student. I was always involved, uh, had done very well in English. And, and so that was as long as I could remember in terms of a potential career, it had always been that. So it, you're right to say that I sort of had a direction, I had a goal, uh, because I did. Uh, and even when it came time for looking for colleges and deciding where I was going to go to university, that was the goal as well. I looked for uh, a college or university that had a strong communication program, that had a strong journalism program, and that had the technological resources to be able to, um, to plug that into a program. And so I had been looking at several schools, but Hofstra was very quickly on the top of my list because it, for me, at least, it had checked all of those boxes. And I had been fortunate enough to, to get some scholarship money as well. So that sort of helped 
uh, make the decision a lot easier. But coming into the university and, and even before I had made the decision to accept um, the admission to it, um, it checked not only checked all the boxes, but for me walking down the hall um, during that campus tour, uh, it was like uh, being a kid in a candy shop. Uh, and so coming to the university, ultimately, you know, I knew from the very first day that I had started to unpack my steamer trunk that um, it, I was going to search out the radio station. Uh, because as I said, for me, it was like being a kid in a candy shop. Um, it, it, and, and the resources were there. Uh, and, and I knew that I wanted to, to, to take advantage of it to the full extent, because I knew that the more I was able to immerse myself in it, um, the better I would look, be, uh, the more I would learn, um, and the and the happier I would be, right? Because for many of us, you know, being at the station was an incredible happy time. Um, it, it was a job, it was a responsibility, but I shared the passion like so many of those that had come through the station as well. Now, you know, I, I don't, I'm not involved in broadcasting right now. Um, life sort of takes a, a different direction for many of us in terms of professions after we leave college. Um, but the, the tools that I was given at that time, uh, the things that I learned, um, the honing of the craft during those years helped me to be much better in terms of the career that I am in, um, because those were all transferable skills. Uh, and you don't need to be in broadcasting to see the benefits of the time at WRHU in terms of the benefits that were bestowed upon me and, and so many of those that came before me and after me. Paul, this was really entertaining and, and a fascinating look at, at your early days at Hofstra Radio. And uh, I thank you for your time and your memories. And uh, I have so many more questions. Uh, let's try to do this again some other time. Well, I, I appreciate the, uh, the help to stroll down memory lane. <laughs> so thank you for that.